Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, so glad that you're with us. My name is Tim. If we haven't met yet, I'm the pastor here. If you are new with us, we love it that you're here. Over the last uh, eight or nine weeks or so that we've been meeting in person, every single week we have uh, new people. Every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. And so if you've been with our church for a little while, uh, be looking around outside the service and, and enjoy the, the cloud cover, amen, that God has given us today. Head outside and talk to somebody new. I know COVID sometimes makes us scared of each other. Come on, it just does. Uh, but we can talk to each other, and so find somebody new, even if you're new, find somebody new to talk to. Uh, if you are new, fill out a Connect card on your way out. Uh, we'd love to connect you to what God is doing in this church, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. Uh, yesterday, we were in this space with our community group leaders and hosts, all talking about how to be the body of Christ and do that during the week. And if you're here on a Sunday, man, we have so much more for you than that. It's throughout the week in community groups. We want you to connect that way. The way to do that is to fill out a Connect card on your way out at that Connect desk. We have a gift for you and all those things. So make sure and talk to somebody new. Fill out a Connect card if you are new. We're so glad you guys are here. All right, week seven of... First John, beloved. Uh, that's where we're going today. And so if you have a Bible, grab it now and go to First John chapter 3. That's where we're going to land this morning. And uh, if you haven't been with us, we've been just going right through this book of First John, looking at the beloved disciple of Jesus, John, who spent the most time with Jesus, was there when Jesus died, was there when Jesus rose again from the grave, and he had this up-close, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. He was the beloved but he doesn't hoard that title, he extends it. And that five times in this book, he calls us the beloved child of God. And so we're experiencing that over this series. And today, if you take notes, our sermon title is this. It's Life, Death, and Love. Life, Death, and Love. And we're gonna hit 11 through 18 of chapter three. But before we get there, we're gonna hit verse 10, which is where we ended last week. So Look at verse 10 with me, and that'll set up where we're going, 11 through 18. Verse 10, it says this. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, if you look at that, what we see is a contrast, and then we see some characteristics. We see an extreme contrast, which we're going to see more of from John today. It's this children of devil or children of God. Do you see that? See, the reality, and we talked about this last week, the reality is John and really the Bible puts us in two camps, children of the devil, children of God. We don't really like that. We, we kind of want to plow the middle road and say, well, everybody's basically good. Hey, I'm trying. I'm doing what I can. I'm coming on Sunday. And John says, no, 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 there's no middle camp. There's two camps, and it's children of the devil, children of God. And he says, hey, here's what the characteristics of the children of God are supposed to be. He says, righteousness and love. Righteousness and love. And last week, we talked about righteousness. We talked about righteousness and not sinning. And the way to, to not sin is not just to write out all the sins you struggle with a 100 times a day and try to stay far away from those, but instead, rather, we should abide in the righteous one. And therefore, his righteousness will get worked out in our lives, and sin will begin to leave our lives. That's what we talked about last week. This defining characteristic of the, the child of God is righteousness, but it's not just righteousness, it's also love. And so that sets up our passage today. That's where we're going today. This loving one another should define you if you are a child of God. All right, so we're going to read this together. Read along with me. 1 John 3, verses 11 through 18, and let's see what John has for us. Verse 11. 
For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love, that he, that's Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, I know there's a lot there, but really what you see is these sharp contrasts that John already gave us. Children of the devil, children of God. He just continues those sharp contrasts, and we see them. I'm going to give you three. He says there's hate and there's love. There's Cain and there's Christ. There's taking a life and there's giving a life. Again, we like to look for the middle road. John says, no, there's, there's sharp contrast here. There's hate and love, Cain and Christ, and taking a life and giving life. So we're going to walk through these contrasts and, and see what John is trying to say to us this morning. The first contrast, if you look at it, is hate and love. Now, if you've been tracking with us, you might be thinking, hey, haven't we already talked about love? Hasn't John been talking about love throughout this book? And, and I would tell you, yes, he has, and he's going to talk about it way more, right? First John 4 is the, the passage on love that you hear at weddings. We're going to dive into that. We haven't even gotten to that one yet. John is going to talk about love throughout this book. Why? Well, a few reasons. The first reason is this. Love is the defining mark of the believer in Jesus Christ, of all the things that we could think, what defines a believer in Jesus Christ? What's, a, what's the characteristic that you're looking for to define the believer in Jesus Christ? Is it somebody who goes to church? Is it somebody who votes a certain way? Is it somebody who talks and behaves a certain way? It is someone, John says, who loves one another. And so he keeps hitting it over and over. Some of you are thinking, Tim, John, first John's kind of basic. He's just talking about love all the time. It's just love, 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 love. All you need is love, like the Beatles. What's his deal? Well, his deal is this is the defining mark of a Christian, right? And it's not just John saying that. Jesus said that. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, the greatest commandment, Jesus. What's the greatest, the, the first commandment? What's, what, what's the most important commandment? Jesus says what? Love God, love neighbor. John 13, 35, Jesus says, hey, here's the main way people are going to know that you're my disciple if you love one another. And remember who John is, the beloved disciple of Jesus. He walked with Jesus, had an up-close, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. John knew Jesus so well. And here's what he's doing, this whole book, and in particular, loving one another and giving us that charge. Here's what he's doing. He's passing along what he learned from Jesus. You see, John didn't learn about Jesus in a museum that he attended. John didn't read about Jesus in a book. He experienced him up close, face to face. He heard Jesus say in John 13, 35, the main way you're going to know who's my disciple is if you love one another. John penned that, the same John, the Gospel of John, 1 John. John heard these words directly from Jesus, and he's passing along to you and to me. Right? That's what we see in verse 11. If you look at that verse, it says, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, to love one another. John's saying, hey, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard it from him directly. This is what you're meant to pass on. Why is that important? Because in John's day, as we talked about these antichrists a few weeks ago, you guys remember that? 
It's hard to forget the Antichrists, right? And we talked about this deception that was invading the church that John is leading and that they were trying to put other things ahead of the love of Jesus and loving one another. And John keeps saying 10 times in this book, from the beginning, from the beginning, from the beginning. You gotta go back to who Jesus was, what he said, what he did, not these other people. That this is what we're meant to be about. So that's why John keeps hitting it home for us, love one another. It's not the only reason, though. It's not just because loving one another is important. It's also because it's difficult. I don't know if you experience this, but people are hard to love. Now, I would ask you to say amen to that, but I don't want to be offensive to the people sitting around you. Right? People are hard to love. And I would love just to think it's people out there in prison and people on the news, they're hard to love, but Phoenix Bible Church, like we dress nice and we're all super kind and we're nice people, we're not hard to love. False. We're hard to love. I'm hard to love, right? And so John is gonna hit this home over and over and over. Why? Because he doesn't just want us to get, hey, what's, what's the answer, right answer on the quiz, Christian? What's the defining mark of the believer? to love one another. And we say it. He doesn't want us just to say it. He wants us to show it. He wants us to do it. And John knows and God knows how much we struggle to do it. Right? And so he's going to keep hitting it over and over. He's going to do it in a unique way in this passage, if you notice, with this second contrast of giving us two opposite ends of the spectrum examples of what it means to love and hate. Right? Do you see it? He gives us Cain and he gives us Christ. Cain and Christ. Now, why Cain? Well, first of all, in that day, John's audience would have been really familiar with Cain. Some of you may be really familiar with Cain. Cain and Abel, uh, the first sons of Adam and Eve. You can read about them in Genesis chapter 4. And you see this story of Cain and Abel, brothers who probably fought a lot about anything because they're brothers. But then they begin to have a fight over their sacrifices unto God. As you read about it in Genesis 4, what happens is they both offer a sacrifice, an offering of worship unto God. But Abel offers his first and his best. Cain just offers a sacrifice. He just goes through the routine. And if you look at Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews goes on to tell us, hey, that was an issue of faith. As we offer our first and best, like Abel, we're saying, God, we trust you. We don't know how you're going to provide. We're going to give you our first, our best, because you're worthy of that. We're going to worship you in that way, and then you're going to provide. We're going to trust you to provide the rest in our lives. Cain didn't do that. It was an issue of a lack of faith. And what happened in Genesis 4? Cain started to resent his brother Abel. That resentment led to anger. That anger led to murder. We had the first murder. Murder infiltrated our world through Cain and Abel, and Cain killed his brother Abel. And so John is giving an example that everybody would know that's the most vivid, the first murder that started with hate. And so why is he giving us that example? As I read this, I thought, okay, John, uh, do you have a lot of homicides happening in your church? I, why, why are you so concerned with, like, murder? And you're, Are you scared? Are people murdering one another in your church? What kind of church is this? Maybe that happened, but I think what John is trying to show us is how evil works in the human heart. He's trying to show us the progression and, and the method of how evil works in the human heart, of how it's not ultimately about someone else, it's about us. And we think about hating someone else, we usually think it's about that other person, right? We think, and we'll say it this way, like, I hate that person. Why do you hate them? Well, you don't understand what they did to me. 
You don't understand what they said to me. I hate my father. Well, why do you hate him? Well, you don't understand. He left us, and, we, and it's always this other person, what they did to me. And, and John's trying to show us, hey, ultimately, hate doesn't start with the other person. It starts with us. See, Cain hated Abel. Why? Hebrews 11 tells us he had a lack of faith in God, unwilling to put God's desires, God's priorities above his And because he was unwilling to do that and had a lack of faith, God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, wasn't pleased with Cain. Resentment starts to build against God and his brother. You know why? Because something was getting in the way of Cain's priorities, success, desires. And that something had to be removed. And in that case, it was his brother, so he murdered him. It started with him. didn't start with the other person. And John's trying to show us, this is how evil will work. It starts in us. It starts in our heart, and it leads to our hands. Verse 15, look at that verse. John tells us this. He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That it starts in the heart, it leads to the hands. And again, this isn't an original concept by John. This is directly from Jesus. Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say? He's talking about, hey, you have heard it said, but I say to you, the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And he says, you have heard it said that the murderer is liable to judgment in Matthew 5. He says, you know what, I'll I'll one-up you on that. It's not just the murderer who's liable to judgment. It's the one who has anger towards his brother or sister in his heart. Because what starts in the heart leads to the hands. This is how evil works. And John's trying to show us this. Jesus showed us this. And then the last thing is John's trying to show us that evil comes at us deceptively, not directly. If we go back to Genesis 4, you see God having a conversation with Cain. And he says specifically to Cain this in 4.7. He says, Sin is crouching at the door. The New Testament will tell us that sin and Satan are prowling around like a lion seeking someone to devour. This is why he brings up this example. Because some of you may think, well, Tim, I don't hate anybody, much less I'm not murdering anybody. But then you start to think about your activity on Facebook. (laughs) And you start to think, well, I'm not murdering anybody. I don't even hate them. I just want them gone. I just can't believe they said that, and if they could be removed from Facebook as a platform, like, that would be okay with me. And John's saying, hey, do you see that? You're not going out to murder them, but you got some hate in your heart. It's not indifference. It's not annoyance. It's hate. And that hate will build, and it will lead to something else. That evil comes at you deceptively, not directly. It's crouching. Do you see it? Can you picture it? Crouching at your door. It's prowling around you. And John wants us to see that, so he gives us this example of Cain. And so you have to ask, not have I murdered someone, not is somebody on my hit list. I mean, ask that, and I hope that's not the case. Right? Cross his name off, but don't kill him. But you need to ask deeper than that. God, do I have hate in my heart for other people? In 2020, have I exhibited hate in my heart specifically towards another brother or sister in Christ, maybe somebody in this room, maybe it's somebody in my family, maybe it is somebody online. Do I have what what John is describing? Is it building in my heart? And, And John's giving the extreme example of Cain because we need to stop and confess that right now. And we don't need to continue to let that hate build. We need to stop. If you're a child of God, 
and not a child of the devil. If you're a child of God, this is who you are. This is your identity. It shapes your activity. So you immediately, if I've hated my heart, God, I confess that to you. I confess that to the other person. Some of you need to leave this place today and go to that person that you talk to on Facebook in that hateful way. Go to the other person in this room, your roommate, your spouse even, and you need to repent to them and say, hey, you may not even know this, but I've had some hate building up in my heart towards you, and I don't want that in my life. That's not who I am as a child of God, and will you forgive me for that? And John's trying to push us by the grace of God to not have this hate in our lives any longer, not if we're children of God, right? And so he gives us this example of Cain, but he also gives us this example of Christ. Now, now why Christ? Well, just as Cain was the most vivid example of hate, Christ is the most vivid example of love. John says the greatest hate is to take a life. The greatest love is to give it. We see that in verse 16. By this, we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. That we get the extreme example of hate, but we also get the extreme example of love. And again, some of us are fighting this. Tim, is it really that extreme? Like, I'm kind of indifferent. I don't hate people. I love people, but I don't know if I'd give my life for people. Does it have to be so extreme? And it is. That's the way the Bible teaches us. I see it uh, perfectly from a guy named uh, Brian Loritz, a pastor and author. I feel like he summed it up so well. He said this, the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremist we will be. Will we be extremists for hate or for love? Will we follow Cain or Jesus? Listen, I know some of us grew up in church and we've done the whole routine. We've read our Bibles. We've done some religious rituals. But at the end of the day, will you follow Cain or will you follow Jesus? Will you love or will you hate? Will you give up your life or will you take anybody out that gets in front of and in the way of your success? That's what John is calling us to this morning. That's why he gives us this extreme example of Christ and what it means to love. And if you notice, it's not just that Jesus loved us and that he gave his life for us. It's that we ought to, verse 16, look at the verse, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That a love embraced like this leads to a love extended like this. That love from the Father leads to love for the family. That people can't see God the Father here on earth physically, but they can see the way we love. And they can see as we express a love that's from the Father, as we express that love for the family, they get to see God the Father. They get to see as you and I lay our lives down for other people in the way that we love him, them, they get to see the love of God the Father in tangible ways through us. That's what John is calling us to. So here today, in this room even, different people, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different sides of the aisle when it comes to political parties, different preferences, people that watch Fox News and people that watch CNN, they're in this room. <laughs> people that are Republican, people that are Democrat, people that, that love to ride bikes and people that love to jog, people that love the office and people that don't. I don't get that personally. It's hard for me to love y'all. Office is one of the greatest shows on television, right? Side note. But we come together, why? We love one another, why? Why? Why would we love one another? We're so different. Why would we be in a room on a Sunday giving an hour of our lives in the midst of a pandemic with masks on? Why do we do that? Because we love 
like Jesus loved. We have the love from the Father that goes for the family, even amidst our differences. See, I think this is difficult for a lot of us to do. We, we have a hard time. As I said, this is why John keeps hitting on this. As I just mentioned those polar opposites of the, the different news channels, and I won't mention them again because I see some of you are having anxiety. As I mentioned ethnicities, you're like, well, hold on a second. We, get, we start to get uncomfortable. Like, there's, there's hard things about loving one another, especially who are different than us. And that's why John keeps hitting it. Why is it so hard? I asked that and just put a few notes down. Why, why is it so hard? I think the first thing is we have a misunderstanding of the extreme opportunity we have to love others. See, I think as we look at, okay, Jesus loved us. How did he love us? Laid down his whole life. Died on a cross like this. Bloody cross. And we see that and we're like, okay, Jesus loved us like that. John says, so we ought to love the brothers like that. And we're like, how do I... I do, how do I do that? Some of us think we hypothesize in this moment. I think particularly guys do this. Hey, I would lay down my life for somebody. Like if little Johnny was on the train tracks and the train was a coming and he was playing and oblivious to the whole train thing, I would step in front of Johnny and I would take the train hit and I would save Johnny's life. I'd lay my life down for a brother. Here's the reality. I don't mean to diminish your dreams, guys or gals but you're probably never gonna see Johnny playing on the train tracks and the train coming right at the same time and have that opportunity, right? You're probably never gonna have that opportunity. And so some of us think, well, well, so I'm supposed to love and that I lay my life down for other people. What does that look like? If I can't do that, literally, like, what does that look like? And I think John is calling us to see we have an everyday opportunity to give up our life for another person. That John is going to make really practical giving up our lives. We see it in verse 17. Look at the verse. He says it this way. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Those world's goods, that's the basic necessities of life. That's food. That's shelter. That's water. That's care. That's a compliment. And John is saying, hey, giving up your life, I'm going to bring that into everyday life. You have an opportunity every day with people around you who need encouragement. There's some people in 2020 who need some encouragement, amen? There's some people who've gotten inside their own head after seven months of this thing. There's some people, if you just said to them today, on your way out, it's their first time in church, some of y'all are scary to look at, right? Because you look like you got everything together and you're wearing a mask so they can't see if you're smiling at them. And it's their first time in church. And if you were on your way out the door just to say, hey, how are you doing? Is this your first time? You could love somebody else and that you give your life for them. You give of your pride for them. You give up your security for them. You just say, I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to ask them how they're doing. John's going to bring it to everyday life, bringing, giving up our life into everyday life, that we would lay down our time, our talent, our treasure, our preferences, our political parties to love one another. See, many of us, we, we, we don't see that as an extreme opportunity. We see the cross. We see the getting in front of the train. That's the extreme opportunity. And John's going to say, no, no, no. If you abide in Christ, if you're a child of God, you'll express this love and laying down your life for other people just in your preferences and your time and your possessions. So we have to ask, are we doing that? Are we waiting for that 
dramatic opportunity one day to actually give up our life, or are we willing to even give up our preferences? Let me just tell you, if you're not willing to give up your preferences, my guess is you're not willing to give up your life. That one day, that movie scene, that one day, that dramatic moment when you think I would give up my life, but I won't give up my preference, I don't think so. So John's saying, hey, start to practice this now, giving up your life for others in small ways. The second reason I think it's hard for us to love is we have a misunderstanding of the extreme way God loves us. When we see that Jesus loved us and that he gave his life for us, many of us, as we look at this passage, we see he gives these extremes. There's team Cain, there's team Christ. There's a stream of Cain, there's a stream of Christ. And many of us, as we think about that, even subconsciously, as I read it, I thought about it. I'm not Cain, I'm not a murderer, so I must be in team Christ. Here's the reality. We're all Cain. We're all Cain, and Jesus loved us so much that he laid down his life for Cain. See, John says it. He says, once we were dead, and we've been brought to life. Ephesians 2 will say it a little bit more uh, extreme and say that we're children of wrath. The Romans will say we're enemies of God, and it's when we are enemies of God. This is why the gospel is good news, amen? It's when we were enemies of God that Jesus loved us. By this we know what love is, that he laid down his life for us, people with anger in our hearts, with hate in our hearts. We're Cain. We're not Christ. And yet God loved us so much that he gave Christ for us in the midst of that reality before we ever did a right deed. God loved us like this. It's like this morning we were having our production meeting and a guy up here who plays guitar was, was talking about how this kid that they have fostered on Thursday this week they get to adopt him. And he was talking about, yeah, we can celebrate that. It's an amazing thing. He's in the room. We can celebrate that. And he was talking about it. He's like, you know, one thing that's really cool is on Thursday when we, we officially adopt him is our son who has a name, he technically doesn't have a name yet. But on Thursday, he's going to have a name, and it's going to be official. And of course, like I am a little bit now, all of us were fighting back tears just in that moment. Why? Because we see a vivid example of the love of the Father. You see, here's what the love of the Father is like for you. It's that he gives his only son. He lays down his life for you, and he gives you a name. He gives you a new nature. He gives you a new identity, and not after you've cleaned yourself up, but while you were an enemy, while you were a child of wrath, while you were Cain, he loved you like that. He gave his life for you. You didn't have a home. He brought you into one. He gave you a name, a new identity, and then new activity. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? That's why fostering and adoption is so so amazing because it shows us just a little glimpse of what happened to you as a child of God. And listen, I know some of y'all, you come to church, you read your Bible every once in a while, like maybe the verse of the day, and you call yourself a Christian, but you have not embraced a love like this. And so when I call you to extend a love like this, when John calls you to extend a love like this, you don't see that you have first been loved like this, so how can you love other people like this? See, I think we struggle with the means of, of loving people as laying down our lives, but we also struggle with the motivation because we don't know how much we are loved. 
We think, no, I'm already kind of in team Christ. I grew up a Christian home. I did all the right things, jumped through all the hoops. I'm in this land, and God loved me and gave his life for me. That makes sense. No, 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 you're Cain, and he still laid down his life for you, and he called you into his family, and he gave you a new name, and he adopted you, and you're a child of God. That's who you are. That's how you've been loved, and that is what compels us to love others. Now, as I thought about the way to end this today, I read verse 18. Look at that verse with me. Grandpa John says, little children, come close. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And as I read that, I thought, hey, you know, the danger this morning is that we could all have a great sermon about love, and then we could leave this place, and we could all ace a quiz on what it means to love. And we could check the right boxes, but not actually love anybody. Man, that would be such a travesty. And John says, hey, don't love and talk or word, love and deed. We say it as a church, our whole tagline as a church. This, this sermon is, if you want to know what our church is about, it's this sermon. Love moves. We see a love that informs and affects our lives to the degree that it moves us to action. Because it moved Jesus, it moves us. And I just thought, hey, I could talk and I could pound the pulpit and tell people and say, hey, we're not going to just talk about love as I talk about not talking about love. And we could have ended that way, but I don't want to do that. So as I studied, I prayed, as I talked to our team, I just said, hey, guys, how can we love in action? How can we love indeed? How can we love in laying down our lives for other people? And we just went to this uh, Love Fosters initiative that we have that we started a few months ago. That somebody in our church who had a passion for this, who, who started and started piecing it together. That families in our church who, who foster kids. That how, how can we support them? And we started this initiative. And so we contacted Christian Family Care, one of our organizations that we partner with. And we just told them this. We said, hey, we want to love how Jesus loved. And we want to give of ourselves, our time, talent, treasure, our lives. What do you guys need? I mean, these little babies, these parents who are modeling the father heart of God. By giving these little babies a home, a name, a family, how can we support you guys? And they just said, hey, car seats. Car seats are really valuable. Obviously, we want kids to be safe on the road. They can be really expensive for families. And we said, okay, how much does a good car seat cost? They said $150. We said, well, how, do you, how many do you need? And they need a lot. But hey, said, we had 10 parents who would love. I mean, they're they would love if they had a car seat. When their baby showed up, they had car seats ready, put them in the car and do the whole thing, then that would be so much. That'd be such a big way to love people. And I didn't want to be presumptuous and, and think you would just be with me in this, but I just prayed and thought, we're going to do this. We're going to obey scripture. And we're not going to just talk about how we don't want to just talk about love. We're going to do it. And so we have an opportunity this morning. There's a slide up on the screen. You can go to our website, just even on your phone. Just click giving and head to our, our giving uh, platform and just click Love Fosters, car seats. And you just give what you feel led to give. And we can begin to put this in action today. My prayer is that we provide way more than 10 car seats, that we'd blow it out of the water. And I think we can do that. Amen? Compelled by the love of God. Well, what better way can we show that than by showing that to families who are reflecting the heart of our Heavenly Father by bringing in little kids into their house? And you may not be able to do that yourself right now, but we can assist those who are, and we can love how we have been loved. Amen? Let's pray together. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. Our band's going to come up, and you can respond, and we can begin to see and show that love does move. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your son, Jesus. 
We thank you that while we were Cain, while we were dead, you sent Jesus to lay down his life for us. And God, I pray for every man and woman watching this right now, listening to this, experiencing this right now, that they would know if they have put their trust in you, that they have been loved like that. And God, that that would never get old for us. It would never just be uh, going through the motions to sing a song how deep the Father's love for us. It would never just become routine to say God is love. God, we would be so impacted by the love that you have extended to us that we couldn't help but extend it to others. We couldn't help but to love indeed, like John calls us to. So God, I pray right now that this body of believers, that as we leave this place, we would leave differently. We would begin to love like you have loved. And that our city would be impacted, God, our world would be impacted, and they would see the love of the Father like they've never seen it before. We pray that in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen.